Hello, and welcome to the Legion Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics. This is Legion Spotlight number four, and in this episode, I'm actually going to jump back in time a little bit and cover a few issues I didn't already cover that predate the start of the Legion of Superheroes. I got some questions from Jason Z on a couple of stories that are sort of precursors to ones I've already discussed. I'm going to talk about those, but I'm also going to talk about the first appearance of Superboy, Crypto, I've also added to the list. I don't know if I'll get to him this episode or not but the first appearance of Supergirl, Super Monkey, and Streaky the Supercat. So, with that, let's get going. Next up, from January slash February 1945, we're going to take a look at More Fun Comics number 101 with the first appearance of Superboy. Now, this comic was an anthology. It's got a number of other stories. I'm not even going to touch on those. I'm going to talk about the five-page Superboy story, which gave us Superboy. Now, this is 1945, so we're definitely in the Golden Age here. Matter of fact, we're fairly early in it. So, the storytelling style here is more of kind of what I refer to as the slideshow mentality, where, you know, you get a panel and it's like, this is Krypton. And, you know, we we get a few things. We get a couple of panels that, that build up a scene or something like that, but... It's it's snippets, it's, well, it's Golden Age storytelling style. I mean, we get one panel that's telling us that, you know, on Earth, Kryptonians would have great powers, you know, and then next thing we know, Lara's coming in and telling Jor-El, because this is recapping the origin story of, of Superman slash Superboy, of, hey, you've got to, you know, you're going to miss your appointment with the Council, you must hurry. He goes, we get the familiar story of Krypton is doomed. They're basically, hey, we've had it. Quakes before, I'm not too worried about this. And sure enough, within the time it takes him to run back home and for Jor-El to, to put Kal-El in the rocket and shoot him off, the planet's destroyed. So I think he was right. We get a quick shot of the Kents finding the baby in, in the rocket ship, but we go, I granted, five-page story, you gotta go pretty quick. But on one of these pages, we've got a Paw Kent, with the baby outside the rocket. Cut to, sometime later, the baby's picking up a chair on his own. Cut to, sometime later, it's like, oh, we've adopted the kid, it's great. Cut to, a few years later, he's showing his super strength. Cut to, a little later, he's able to jump over buildings. And, I mean, literally, years seem to go by between panels. But that's just kind of how some of the storytelling was at this point. And, on the last page... We get Clark showing his super abilities and just can't kind of able to, you know, convince people, oh, it was, you know, something must have given me a minute of super strength or something like that, and just kind of brushing it off. And then deciding that he wants to do good, but he can't do it as Clark Kent. So we get a, a panel of, oh, we're going to have Superboy and we're going to have more adventures of him. Boom, that's the story. Now, I don't know that I'd ever really read this story before, and. Part of it is, even though a lot of these things have been reprinted a a couple of times and whatnot, and I've got, you know, a lot of these DC archives, there is an aspect of Golden Age storytelling style, which this is very much in, 
not always my cup of tea. But this is one where you can't have the Legion without Superboy. And since I'm going to pick up a few other things, like Crypto's first appearance and stuff like that, I figured, well, let's go ahead and get Superboys. Again, five pages out of that comic were devoted to Superboy, but I think it led to quite a few things, including the Legion and, and various other things. And for a while, it was one of their more popular uh, properties. I think it was actually one of the most successful things at that era as superheroes were starting to fall a little out of fashion. Now, it was by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Schuster did the art. Siegel had done the pitch. I'm a little unclear if he'd actually done the scripting or how that went, because I believe at this point he was all fighting in the war. So, a little unclear, and with Golden Age stories, they don't really do the credits the way we're used to these days. But once again, that's the first appearance of Superboy in More Fun Comics 101. Next up is Adventure Comics number 159 from October 1953, and we've got Lana Lang's Romance on Mars. Now, this is one of the ones Jason Zeller had asked me to kind of compare to one of the other ones I've already talked about from a couple of years later. In March 1961, Adventure Comics number 282 had Lana Lang and the Legion of Superheroes. And that had the first appearance of Starboy as a member of the Legion of Superheroes, and it was kind of Lana Lang's first adventure with the Legion. And it was a basic plotline of she's trying to get Superboy jealous. And Mars Boy, who's the, the character in Adventure Comics 195 with Lana Lang's romance on Mars, is pretty much a precursor to Starboy in many ways. Now, the big difference is Mars Boy is a contemporary of Superboy. He's almost literally the Superboy of Mars. And this is not his first appearance. He showed up in Superboy number 14, where we get his origin, which isn't all that different than Starboy's. And in Superboy 14, Mars Boy tries to steal the Sphinx, because, well, the people on Mars need it, and winds up working things out with Superboy, and they become friends at the end. And there's a little bit of, they're very similar, and therefore, when you've got Mars Boy having a civilian identity in Smallville going to the same school and stuff, it's... A lot of contrivances, but whatever, not not a, a bad story. And then in Superboy 16, Mars Boy shows up again, and the basic plotline there is both thinks the other guy has it easy, so they agree to swap places for a little bit, and they both make kind of similar mistakes because they don't know the local customs and what's going on and some of the details and such, and wind up swapping back so they could kind of clean up the mess the other guy made end up thinking, that well, the other guy's life really is harder than mine, sort of a thing. Kind of a, you know, the grass always seems greener on the other side, sort of a storyline. But those are the two previous appearances. This is Mars Boy's third appearance. Now, I can pretty much give a rundown of both stories. This from October 1953 versus March 1961. That's like eight years apart. The plot line of both stories, and I'll... I'll put in the Mars Boy, Star Boy references as we go, is pretty much the same thing. The story starts out, Superboy isn't giving Lana the attention she wants, setting up the she-wants-to-make-him-jealous storyline. We get a little scene where Clark is lighting Paul Kent's either pipe or cigar using his powers. And again, the specifics are a little different, but the plot point's basically the same. Clark's walking around town. In one story, he gets giant horseshoes thrown around him. The other, it's giant rings. 
followed by, you know, when Superboy goes to investigate that, he gets a message to go meet. He meets up with either Mars Boy or Star Boy. We get a quick origin story. Now, Star Boy tells his, well, Mars Boy's is done versus a recap, because, again, it was told in another comic. Now, we then find out that both Mars Boy and Star Boy's X-ray vision can't see through copper. The fact it's copper in both is just kind of funny, but okay. In both cases, Lana overhears the secret identity of either Mars Boy or Star Boy. She blackmails said hero into helping her make Superboy jealous, but Superboy overhears the plan. So, in both cases, Star Boy and Mars Boy were there to go apprehend somebody. They find them, and, and when it's time to take them home, it's like, let's take Lana. They're going to go visit their home planet, either of Mars in the present day or Xanthu in the future. Once they get there, Superboy uses his X-ray vision, which can see through copper, to go find the other criminal, and then we go full on to the the jealousy plot line. Mars Boy and Star Boy make Lana a new dress and some jewelry. Superboy tricks Lana into saying that that Mars Boy or Star Boy is interested in, in her because she's from another world. Superboy knew she was going to say that. That gives Superboy the opening to make Lana think he's interested in one of the local ladies, and Superboy is doing whatever. That young lady wants. It's either a Cyntheria or Zynthia, you know, depending if it's Mars Boy or, or Star Boy. This gets Lana to be jealous. She's realizing the whole plan's not working. She then claims that the air on either Mars or Xanthu is kind of bad for her. Superboy makes a quick space helmet for her. She realizes this isn't working. If Superboy stays, he may fall for the local ladies and such. So she confesses her scheme to make Superboy jealous. And Lana gets taken home by Superboy. I mean, beat for beat, these storylines are virtually identical. Now, the specifics. How does Superboy light Paul Kent's pipe or cigar? Sure, that's a little different. The task Superboy does for Zynthia versus Cyntheria or whatever, a little bit different. But generally speaking, the plot lines are identical. But to say that Mars Boy is a precursor of Star Boy, certainly the parallels of the stories make that very believable. The similarities in power sets that Star Boy has at this point compared to Mars Boy very much lends credence to this too. Now, eight years apart in story when these stories were released. And at this point in time, the general mindset was that the readership turned over every three to five years or something. And that was kind of thought of up through the, the 70s. The kids read comics, they'd age out. So by the time the Starboy story was being published, that would have been, in the creator's minds, two or three generations of readers later, so to speak. So a little more understandable where they're reusing the story plotline and stuff like that. And again, it could have just been that they were a little pressed for time when they had to do that other story with, with Starboy, and it's, okay... Let me just tweak this. Ah, we'll make him a member of the Legion and, and just go that way with him or something like that. I don't know. This was, you know, over half a century ago. I don't know if there's anyone around who could tell us exactly how and why this happened. And I don't know, maybe maybe there's an interview in Alter Ego or Back Issue Magazine or something of that sort that, that sheds some light on this. Either way, both are good stories. Mars Boy, again, had two other appearances prior to this. I don't know if he got used after this or not. The confusing part for me is there was a civilization on Mars that he was a part of, yet it's got nothing to do 
with Martian Manhunters civilization and, and whatnot. So there's that inconsistency. And it would be fun to see, you know, Mars Boys show up in a, you know, more modern Legion take or something like that. Maybe not as Mars Boys specifically, but something along those lines. So, again, wasn't one I had originally planned on doing, but since Jason asked and I was curious, I figured I'd circle back and go read it and such. So once again, that's Adventure Comics number 195 with Lana Lang's Romance on Mars. Next up is Superman number 80 with Superman's Big Brother. Now, this is another one that this character is kind of a precursor to Mon-El. Now, unlike Mars Boy and Star Boy, where one of the stories was, was almost beat for beat the same, this is one where the premise for the characters are the same, the start of the stories are pretty similar, but I think Hulk Carr's storyline goes in a different direction than Mon-El's. I mean, we start with Superman finding the the guy in the rocket and stuff. They've got a map in Jor-El's handwriting about Jor-El's son's route to Earth. The person has amnesia, so Superman here assumes Hulk Carr is his older brother. Superboy assumes Monel is the older brother and such. They they test the powers and stuff, and this is where the stories diverge. Here, Hulk Carr's powers aren't as strong as Superman's, so Superman's gonna kind of cover for his his brother's weakened powers and such, and his brother tries to help uh, with a couple of, of superheroing-type things. Uh, things go a little awry, and Hulk ends up getting captured by the, the bad guys, who are trying to use Superman's big brother to, to blackmail Superman of, of leaving Metropolis or will kill him. And because his powers are weakened, Superman's thinking, yeah, they, they may actually be able to kill him. But uh, Hulk is, is like, no, not gonna have it breaks free but gets electrocuted. This restores his memory. We find out he's from Thoron, not Krypton, and Thoron's a smaller planet in Krypton's system, which is how he's got the same basic powers, but because it's a smaller world, they're weaker powers. And basically he's like, yeah, I'm not your brother, I wasn't from Krypton, etc., etc. All's good, and Superman basically builds Hulk a rocket to let him go return to Thoron and such. And I'm pretty sure this character was never seen again up until the Grant Morrison run of Green Lantern just a few years back. And it's funny because in in this story, and part of it is the era, the art style, etc., this guy looks massive. And I don't mean like muscular massive, I mean like six feet wide kind of, kind of massive. And Superman looks pretty big too, but I don't know. The uh, anatomy and stuff, again, different era, different expectations than, than what I'm used to. Uh, the color scheme and costume design for Hulk Carr is very similar to Monel, but really in both cases, take Superman's costume, flip the red and the blue, uh, maybe tweak the belt a little bit, and that's what you got. I mean, the big difference with Monel is he's got kind of a shirt that goes out from under the belt or whatever. Uh, around the trunks. And it's a redder red versus Hulk's is almost more of, uh, I'm going to say, a a lighter, almost pinkish red kind of a thing. So definitely, I think this was a precursor of sorts to the Monel stuff, but I don't think it was a reused story in quite the same way we got with Starboy. And, and this story is from November 1953, whereas the 
Monel story is from June 1961. So again, nearly eight years apart from when these stories were released. And I'm not saying it makes it okay or anything. I'm saying it makes it understandable. I mean, there are certain plot lines that are going to get revisited time and again. And Superman meeting an analog who he thinks is his brother or is just, you know, an equivalent to him on another planet, that's happened a lot over the decades. I mean, just in these stories, we've got Hulk Carr, Mon L, Star Boy, and Mars Boy, all of which are kind of knockoff Supermans, if you will. So again, it happens often. Honestly, I didn't find this story as good or as interesting as the origin of Monel, but I've also been a fan of Monel for a few decades now, whereas uh, Hulk Carr, he was a one and done character for the most part. Yes, he got used later by Grant Morrison, but that was, I think, just so Grant could show off, hey, I know about this character, which is all funny good. I don't think anyone was clamoring for this character to come back. Whereas I know there are people that would actually like Monel and the Legion to come back. So, once again, that's Superman number 80 with Superman's Big Brother from November 1953. Next up is Adventure Comics number 210, and we've got the Super Dog of Krypton. Now, this is the first appearance of Crypto, and it is from March 1955. This is the exact sort of storyline that I think eventually led to the Crisis on Infinite Earths and some of the aftermath of it. Now, what I mean by that is there was a point at which every time you turned around, it seemed like there was some other person or animal or whatever that had survived Krypton. Now, in this case, it was a dog. Now, not just any dog. It happened to be the puppy that Kal-El had. And Jor-El had to use him as a test animal when developing space rockets because there, there just wasn't time to go get another animal. And given how quickly Krypton blew up, uh, I'll give Jor-El the break on that and say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Now, what I found kind of entertaining on this is it's, it's not that long of a story. It's about, uh, I think it's 10 pages, and that includes a title page that's got an image that's evocative of the story, but not really part of the story. And the whole thing is, you know, we've got this dog in Smallville that's, that's causing a little bit of havoc and has superpowers. And where did he come from? Well, we quickly find out that, you know, he came in his own rocket ship. And that rocket ship has written records of, you know, Jor-El, you know, using his own puppy to to test the rocket and such, and presumably something went wrong, which is why it took long enough for the rocket to, to get to Earth and such. And the basic crux of the story is Crypto's got powers, but he's a dog. So he's causing some mischief by, you know, almost destroying a plane, sort of accidentally revealing Superboy's identity sort of to Lana, or at least giving her reason to suspect not that she needed any motivation for that. She would do that on the drop of a hat anyways. But just figuring out how to handle a superpowered dog was a little little more than uh, Superboy could handle at this point. And the story kind of ended with Crypto's going to go roam the stars. Maybe he'll come back and maybe he won't. But they did some interesting stuff. And he's got super intelligence. But again, he's a dog. So a super smart dog is still a dog. 
and I think this is before they'd really kind of figured out how to how to handle crypto and such. But they did it pretty quickly because, again, this story, 1955, crypto, I'm pretty sure, was part of the animated Superboy stuff they were doing as as of the late 60s, I think. But, again, every character's got to sort of start somewhere. And this is much more of an animal version of crypto than the more intelligent, almost thinking version that we tend to see later. Now, I'm including this not because I think Crypto is a, a key member of the Legion, but he's a key member of the Legion of Super Pets, which is an auxiliary team of the Legion, so, you know, kind of getting his backstory, I kind of felt made sense. And all in all, enjoyable story. It's, again, 10 pages, half of which feels like it's being spent either on the antics of a superpowered dog, or Lana trying to uncover Superboy's identity, or something of that sort, which, again, par for the course for this era of, of comics. But this is also one of the sorts of things that's been reprinted in Superboy, a celebration of 75 years. I'm pretty sure it was in a few other collections over the years and whatnot. So if you're a fan of, of crypto, worth checking out. And once again, that's Adventure Comics number 210, The Superdog of Krypton. Next up is Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 31 with The Elastic Lad. This is from September 1958, and it is the first appearance of Jimmy Olsen as Elastic Lad. Now, I'm not sure if the way he gets his powers later is the same as it is here or not, because in this story, and it's only an an eight-page story, Superman has been out in space, he found... Uh, an abandoned lead chest floating in space, brings it back. Before he can open it, he's got to go save a a plane that's in trouble. He's left it with Jimmy. Jimmy's, I'll open it, take some photos while you're gone. Sees a jar of green liquid thinking, oh, it could be liquid kryptonite. That'd be dangerous for Superman. So as he's trying to get rid of it, he trips, breaks the bottle, and gets splashed by this liquid. And he's like, I can't even prove it was there, so Superman's not going to be happy. Maybe I'll just, you know, finish what I'm doing and kind of leave. Very heroic thing for Jimmy there, but okay. This is when he discovers he's got stretching powers, and he's now something of a freak. So he heads out because he's embarrassed, doesn't want Superman to see him this way or whatnot. Winds up, and I kid you not, joining a carnival... He was going to be a human pretzel, but he gets billed as Elastic Lad. The uh, freak show manager actually provides him a rubber costume the next day. And one of the people who sees him kind of performing is a kind of a con artist uh, criminal who realizes Jimmy's trying to find an antidote for his predicament. Because at this point, he's had a reputation of getting mixed up in all sorts of crazy experiments. This isn't the first kind of transformation he's had, nor will it be the last. So this this mobster disguises himself as a famous professor and convinces Jimmy, oh, I can cure you. Let's just head over to my lab. Now, on the way, he, they find something, you know, window washer can't quite reach the window. Hey, Jimmy, why don't you help? He does. Well, he's being used to kind of acid wash a window that was bulletproof, so one of this mobster's compatriots can shoot at the district attorney. 
it's a Superman family comic book, so of course Superman's there to save the day, protect the DA, and get the shooter. Jimmy sees this, this time bomb planted at City Hall. The professor uses Jimmy as a rubber band to shoot the, the explosive away, but it was aimed towards a bank where this guy's men were waiting. It blows open a hole in the vault. Superman flies by before the guys can rush through to rob it. Superman's rebuilt the wall. Cops are there to take the people away. By this point, Jimmy and the fake professor have actually made it to the real professor's lab. Well, this guy can't get in because he's not the professor. Jimmy doesn't know this. Oh, the lock's jammed. Jimmy goes under the door, opens it up from the inside, at which point the, the crook reveals himself and he was there to steal kryptonite. Superman's there, but the kryptonite is, is weakening him, so Jimmy's got to use his elastic powers to take out the mobster and put the kryptonite back in the box. But, miracle of miracles, somehow this actually cures Jimmy and he can't stretch anymore. And this professor was experimenting on kryptonite to find an antidote to protect Superman from it and apparently accidentally found a way to cure Jimmy of what had ailed him. So at the end of the story, Jimmy no longer has powers. And it's funny, this this last panel of this story is hilarious. Jimmy's kind of bemoaning that the stretching abilities would really help when he's filing all these things, because he's in a room that has a filing cabinet that is at least seven drawers high, and it literally goes up to the ceiling. Now, how you get stuff into that top one, I don't know. But Jimmy is on top of a box, on top of a chair, on top of a box, on top of another filing cabinet. So, I mean, there's seven drawers, and that's not even the floor of the thing. So anyways, that's that's just a hilarious uh, image and stuff. But it has me wondering how Jimmy's Elastic Lad powers work uh, later on. I had always thought it was Gingold, which is kind of what also powers uh, Elongated Man. And I'll have to do a little research and stuff, and I'm curious if when we see Elastic Lad with the Legion, if they kind of address the source of the powers and stuff like that. Because Jimmy becomes an honorary legionnaire, and I think he's not eligible to be an actual legionnaire. One, because different time zone, although that didn't slow down Superman or Supergirl. But also, it's not innate powers, they're artificially induced, which tend to disqualify somebody from being a legionnaire. So, eight-page story of the Elastic Lad from Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 31, from September 1958. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.